Welcome to the Beacon Way Podcast, where your hosts, Jennifer Christensen and Adrian Wilkerson, talk shop about what really works in today's digital marketing world. As the co-founders of Beacon Media and Marketing, Jennifer and Adrian have been a part of digital marketing since its early stages in the mid-2000s. Tune in as they shine light on what works and what doesn't in the ever-changing world of digital marketing for small businesses. Thank you again for joining us for the Beacon Way podcast. Uh, this is Jennifer Christensen, your host. Really honored today. I'm honored and excited. I'm always excited about the people I get to talk to. Um, but really honored today to get to talk to Valerie from the Depressed Bake Shop. She was just at the Mental Health Marketing Conference, and we didn't get to see each other there in person, but so excited to have you here and share your story about how this all started and came about. Welcome, Valerie. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm sorry I didn't get to meet you either. I know. It was such a, I was like, how did that happen? If I got to give Jody a hug, um, your amazing sister. But yeah, just sorry we missed each other. There was so much going on. So many different things happening there. Uh, for those of you guys that don't know about this conference, I highly recommend it. It's my favorite conference of the year. It's, um, a lot of conferences are just all about business. And I feel like this conference is really about a higher purpose. So just love attending that. So Valerie, was that your first time attending the conference? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you guys got to speak. How is the speaking part? Do you, do you and your sister get to speak a lot? We've never spoken together. She lives in Boise, Idaho, and I live in Los Angeles, California. We actually haven't lived together since I was 18 years old. <laughs> I went to college and then she moved out of state. She's never lived in state pretty much ever since. Yeah. But I great about um, being able to do that with her is we are still so close, which is a pretty big achievement, you know, for two people who have lived together for three quarters of our lives. So it was great to see her and we had so much fun and we felt really proud to be able to get together and share the story of what the impact our father's mental health issues had on our lives and on our careers and on kind of the choices we've made as grownups going forward. So it was wonderful. That's cool. I'm, I'm so glad you guys got to do that together. So tell me a little bit about, for those listeners who don't know you, I know you had quite a corporate background at corporate marketing and kind of worked yourself all the way up the ladder and then have taken a different route. Do you mind sharing just a little bit of background? Sure. I grew up in Southern California, as I said, and I was the daughter of two parents who really loved culture, movies and music and theater and exposed us to all of the above. And I was an English major And I went to UCLA. And when I was going to college, the big joke was English majors didn't have, everyone say, are you going to be a teacher? And I'd say, I don't know what I'm going to be. So I finally got a pin on my head that said, I don't know what I'm going to do when I graduate. Just leave me. I was so stressed out. And my parents put so much pressure on us to get into college. I thought there's nothing I'll have to do after college. And then anyway, suddenly I found myself in college. So they kept hounding me to get internships and I was really shy. And I read a lot, which is why I was an English major. But anyway, I eventually wandered into a, a a motion picture and entertainment publicity firm in uh, Los Angeles. Very long story. And I just never left. I became an intern and I worked my way up to becoming a publicist through like lots of adventures. And I did that for several years. And then I did some other things. I went and ran marketing at the Hard Rock Cafe. And then my friend and I started a magazine. And then I eventually made it back to the film business. And I was one of the founding members of a company called Fox Searchlight, which is 20th Century Fox's 
Yeah. Independent division is still quite successful. So I was their first publicist and I worked on their first big hit, which is the Full Monty. And then I left there to go to Sony and start another division at Sony called Sony Screen Gems, which is still also in existence. It's had some shifts over the years in terms of focus, but it was a genre division. And I did that for a while. And then I ended up doing a lot of good things at Sony. I had a really big career and I ended up becoming the president of marketing uh, worldwide at Columbia Pictures. And but at that point in my life, my personal life was complicated. I had a boyfriend lived in London. So I had this giant job, a boyfriend lived in London. I was juggling all those things. And then my mother developed cancer at the end of that year or the end of the first year of that big job. And so then I was taking care of my mother who had cancer and trying to maintain my job, my relationship. And underpinning all of this was that when I was 30, which had been several years before that, my father had a psychotic break and it was very unexplained. It happened quite quickly. And my mother just was like, I'll just deal with this. And you girls, I have two sisters, one, another one in addition to Jody. So she said, I'll just deal with this and you girls go off with your lives. And so I would see them, but it, he was ill and it was weird. And I didn't know what was happening and I didn't want to ask. And I had my own 30 year old issues I was dealing with. And yeah. then one day he was just back. And I was like, Hey dad, what happened? He's oh, okay. So we just pretend like nothing ever happened. We just got on with our lives. But when my mother developed cancer, then back of my head, and I'm sure my sisters was like, is something going to happen to dad? So she eventually passed away. It was horrible. And then about a year and a half later, he had a psychotic break, which was probably always bubbling underneath all of this. I'm telling you a very long story. <laughs> very, no, no, it's rapid, all good. So in any case, anyone, I don't know how many of your listeners have had relatives or have suffered with mental health issues themselves, but psychosis is really scary. It's very difficult for the sufferer. It's incredibly difficult for the caregivers, particularly daughters who have no idea what this is and why it's happening. And right. it was very arduous to get him into UCLA to get him help, which is, I'm sure you heard, this is the speech I made. And it eventually kind of, it just destroyed me because I just, after a year and a half of taking care of my dad, who's incredibly ill and trying to manage my big career and trying to manage my long distance relationship. Cause by this point, when my father got ill, my husband, and I just got married. So anyway, it was all too much. So I had my own little mini crash and I quit my job in kind of an inelegant way, as I also said, and I found myself lost and scared for the first time in my life without a job, but also having developed a purpose, which had started the day I got my dad into the mental hospital, which was like, it isn't right that my dad is so hard to get my dad help. It isn't so right that it's so hard on me and my family. Like I need to do something. I, I need to be part of a solution to make sure that someone else in my position doesn't ever have to make the choice I'm making today. So I started raising money and working with NAMI and talking to people like bring change to mind and trying to figure out like where I could use my marketing skills and my resources to be part of the solution. I've been an activist since I was a young girl and I've done a lot of charity and philanthropy. And simultaneously to this, I was also healing myself intuitively through something that's called behavioral activation, or you could call it art therapy or therapeutic arts. And I was just making a lot of art. I've always made a lot of art, and but I was on a real art making binge. I was knitting and I was sewing and taking sewing lessons and embroidering and painting and everything, taking painting lessons, anything to get my mind off my troubles because I was now consulting. I didn't have a 12 hour a day job and I didn't really have that much to do other than to visit my dad in the hospital. So I also started cake decorating. And when I was cake decorating, I started reading a lot about cake decorating. And I read about an organization, a one day pop-up called Depressed Cake Shop in England. And I was really intrigued and I wanted to try and make some cupcakes for it because I was spending a lot of time in England, but I had to come home because my dad was ill again. So I didn't get to make the cupcakes for the English cake shop, but a Facebook group had grown around it. And suddenly all these people wanted to make cake cups. Sorry, I'm talking fast because I know it's such a long story. A lot of people, a lot of artists 
formed a Facebook group around this one idea of this small little pop-up that had happened in England. And I met a woman in LA who was also intrigued. So we created our own pop-up and I really found my purpose. I was like, I've always wanted to work in a bakery and I've always wanted to make cake and I've always wanted to be an artist. And all those things are challenging because you got to buy eggs and flour and, right. and mixers and have employees. And I was like, ah, I'm still working in film. I can't do that. But so I was able to have my own cake shop by doing these really fun branded pop-ups. And I started doing them all over the place, all over the country. I met bakers all over the world. And it was just such a resonant idea that this original founder had come up with that it just stuck. And so it's been so remarkable that we're 10 years old this year. Wow. And it's just me and my computer and, and my website and my remedial social media skills. And that's all it is. And we've gotten lots of press and people just find us and it's very organic. And in the years since I took care of my dad for a long time and then he eventually passed away. And then I had some other personal stuff that happened to me and then COVID. So it's been like a kind of, we were on a real up and now it just bubbles along, but it does incredible work in a very beautiful, organic and holistic way. And we've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars around the world. We've had hundreds of cake shops. We've been in so many countries. And so I went to the mental health marketing conference with my sister to share my story because I want more mental health organizations to know this is a resource that's available to them. It's essentially a branded bake sale. We don't take any money from the bake sale. It all goes straight into local charities. I think part of like my purpose is to help local charities who are working in that space have a way to create community and raise funds on their own. So it's like this gift we give to them. And people, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to describe it to people because there's not really anything else like it. Most of these organizations, you have to fill out forms and you have to pay them a fee. Or, But I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to create a lot of red tape for people. I yeah. wanted the barrier of entry to be as easy as it was for me, which is I just found a space. I got some local bakers. I found my charity, National Alliance of Mental Illness West Los Angeles. I worked with them and I did it. So it's very simple. And I think that part of my purpose is to spread the word that people should join the depressed cake shop community. It has so much utility beyond just the cake shop itself, the relationships that have been formed, the friendships that have been made, the money that's been raised, the awareness that's been raised. I feel really proud of it. And I think it's really remarkable. I think it's absolutely remarkable. Thank you for telling the story. I'm glad you went fast so you could get through all that. That was fantastic. <laughs> I have so many questions. I'm going to start with one of the pieces I really took from that. I'm doing a lot of work in nonprofit myself and working in that area. It feels like there's a different nonprofit for everything. And one of my big things that I, in fact, there's more nonprofits per capita in Alaska where I am than any other state. Yeah. And often working out like the same purposes but hitting it differently well, that's, that's and and so that just like immediately stuck stood out to me I love that because we went into mental health because I'm very passionate about that issues in my own family with my daughter in our family generational line and the thing that just happens over and over again in mental health is how difficult it is to get help how difficult it is to talk about it, how difficult it, it just feels like this gargantuan thing that you have to walk through barriers, even after you you find out and like exactly what you described. I'm sure it's a different situation, but that's a common theme. So the fact that you've made something so easy, that doesn't require all of that, even just to raise money and raise awareness, that just makes me so happy. <laughs> it really does. Well, yeah. And it's very flexible. And some places have raised a lot of money. It just depends on your bandwidth and your resources. But sometimes, and I think almost as importantly, the thing 
that is different because I had two parents with you know, terrible illnesses. My mother had cancer. My father had mental illness. Cancer is terrible, but it follows a trajectory that makes sense as long as you have the resources and medical care and healthcare and everything. You have doctors and they understand what's happening. It's like your white blood cells are doing this or your red blood cells. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like the yes. symptoms are somewhat d- discoverable and then either treatable or not treatable. But mental Correct. illness isn't that. It's, it doesn't go on a path. I've had it myself. I sometimes am anxious and it's bearable. I've been incredibly depressed. And it's it goes with your, as, as a woman, it's different with your hormones. It's different with your age. It's different. You could have complicated grief. You could have a traumatic experience happening. It's not a physical ailment that is treated yeah. with a medication yeah. that is a, as a biomarker. I guess that's where I'm going. And so it's just so complicated to everyone who's experiencing it or, or whose loved one is experiencing it that to make it even more complicated <laughs> didn't seem fair. But also I think as important as raising the funds is finding other people who are sharing your experience and finding a kinship and a, and a, an understanding because it's still, as much as we're all talking about it. And my dad, he got ill when I took over his care in 2008. So that's now 15 years ago. No one was talking about it. Now, Jennifer, to your point, I feel like everyone's talking about it, but what are we doing about it? Like, how are right. we solving it? How are we treating it? Can we get better medication? I have several right. friends who are like fairly bipolar, high functioning individuals that I've met through this work that their lives go like this. And I can see it. One of my friends, I talk to her on the phone most weeks and sometimes several times a week. And on a Zoom call, I can see the track of her illness as it goes up and down and up and down. And so I think, I feel like maybe the next part of my life is to stop talking and find re- and f- help fund research into medication that might actually treat bipolar disorder and yeah. not just treat it, but cure it. So that someone like my dad or my friends can actually live lives that are a little bit more stable. And occasionally it does work, but I think uh, the huge increase in mental health issues in our country between COVID and social media and loneliness and isolation and our seniors who are getting older and we're keeping everybody alive older and we don't have social systems for them. There's so, I, my brain kind of explodes with the amount of people yeah. that... I would love to serve, but I just want to, I think the cake shop is like doing its part and I love it. So I want more people to grab onto it because I think one of the best parts about it is the friends and the community you will find. So the more people who actually find community and support and are able to talk about this and discover resources, I think is really important as some of these bigger organizations that are taking big sponsorships and doing these big conferences. I think that's nice. Not the mental health marketing conference has a very specific agenda, but I keep getting invited. Do you want to come to this panel discussion and that panel discussion and this panel discussion? <laughs> yes, but what can we do on a more intimate scale to help you know our friends? Yeah. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And I was talking to Jody about it. Is I didn't even get to tell her this, but I actually had two different people call me like in tears after listening to her because what we ended up talking about and both of them work in shelters and deal with a lot of mental health. But what we ended up talking about was it's the grassroots community movement pieces that are making the impact, truly making a difference day in and day out. And for me as a marketer, and and maybe you and I can relate on this, I know that's where my skill set is, but it's so huge. Many times I've wanted to jump in and just fix it. But it can't, that's just not like where my piece is that I know that I'm supposed to help contribute, but I completely agree. Like the talking can almost become like a bureaucracy of just like level after level that actually makes it harder for the end person to get help. And what's your thought about that? Of some of the, even like anecdotal 
evidence that you've seen her experience and other people experience through community of people getting healed. I feel like that's a huge component. Oh my gosh, I could talk about this for days. I think loneliness, if you're going to ask me like the number one cause of mental health issues, I would say loneliness and then also what's it called? Residential insecurity, which is what Jody deals with. I think my dad talked a lot about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and like home and shelter is so difficult right now. The population Jody serves, they've lost the most fundamental thing you can have to be safe, which is a safe place to live, a roof over your head and food in your mouth. So that's an animal need. So that's the, that's the most fundamental issue, especially where the people Jody serves and the people where I live in Los Angeles, the homeless population is, is reaching like small countries at this point. So I think that First, we have to try and get people safe. And that's what Jody does. It's like her her mission is getting them safe first. And to be able to treat a mental health issue, you need so many other things underpinning it. You need yes. somewhere to sleep. You need to feel safe. You need community. You can't do it by yourself. So unlike someone who has cancer, they can get themselves to a doctor. Nine times out of 10, if, like I have back pain right now. I took myself to a chiropractor. I got uh, some cream. I put an ice pack on it. Like I can do that myself. I have the agency and I have the wherewithal to get myself treated. The part that I find scariest and saddest about mental health issues is your brain's telling you there's no hope, there's no help. And so you really need an assist and you need one person who really cares about you at least, which my sister and I did for our father. And a lot of people don't have that. And that's, I think, to go back to Jody, what Jody's, and I'm sure you guys talked about this is her insight into all of it, and I know what it is, is that she looked into the eyes of these people in her community and saw her dad without daughters. And so I think that, yes, we do need community support and we just need to start with the most basic needs. And then we have to build from there. Like in order to, for someone to be a fully functioning member of society, there are a lot of things they're going to need before they get there when they've reached the, the bottom levels of a really severe mental health crisis. And that's, I think, what kind of keeps me up at night because I think. I, yes, I can talk about it and I can, and I can do my cake shops and I, I'm doing my part, but I know it's just one very small part. So yeah. I've decided, I think, you know, that coming on podcasts like this and talking about this and hoping someone like me hears it and maybe they live in a community and they want to go volunteer at their homeless shelter and help someone like Jody raise funds for them. I think a big part of what I want to do now is because I am a marketer is advocacy. Like, yes. I love popping yes. up cake shops. I love making cake, but that doesn't, me personally doing that doesn't scale a thousand people in the country making cake in a thousand cities that can start to scale. That so scale. that's yeah. I, yeah. So I think Jody and I think we've both come to the same conclusion, which is we're outward facing individuals. We like to talk and we want to spread the word that we're just two women whose dad got sick and I still do film marketing and it's still how I make my career, but I also can do something with my other hand, which is create this other, um, organization that can help others while I'm you know, still doing my primary work. Jody, on the other hand, has pivoted completely to this being her life's calling and her career. And I think our world's going to be better for it because I think she has a big voice and a lot to say going forward. I'm really hopeful she'll continue to speak out and become a real shining light and talk to people about the humanity of not only homelessness, but of just loneliness and lack of community support or lack of family. That's how people end up homeless. My daughter looked me in the eyes. She did not expect to live past 18. Her mental illness issues were so traumatic. We found out later she had a traumatic brain injury, but we didn't know that until recently. But she looked me in the eye after 18 and she was like, mom, I would be absolutely dead. I would be on the street and dead if I didn't have you and dad. There's no way 
yeah. that I would have made it because she needed literally years to recover. And she's mostly recovered now. She's in college getting straight A's, doing amazing. Really, she's an incredible human being. But when she said that to me, I knew that was the truth. There's nobody that could have just picked up and walked with her that way if they weren't like advocating and investing and doing whatever it took to almost fight a system, right? And it took us fighting even just to find out what actually it even was much later, like I said. So, but when I talk to people in the area that I do have that influence, I still hear things like people just don't want to work and I want to shake them so hard. It's like, you don't know what you're talking about. So I just... So thank you, Valerie. And megaphones. The world has given us we can use all these things to spread the word. Because I think that's what I've been doing my whole life, marketing it. All it is amplifying a a message as widely as possible to the audience that needs to hear it. We can do it through cake, we can do it through podcasts. I think when I met Steve, he told me the same thing. He said he heard a voice that said help other people and he decided to create his conference. And I think it's such a wonderful organization he's running and experience he created and the, just the friendships and the relationships I made in that two-day period. What if we just did this on smaller scales all across the country and all across the world? I think it's just that beacon of light idea. Jody quoted this and it's also one of my favorite stories. It's the woman who's walking down the beach, she's throwing starfish in and someone comes up to her and says, what are you doing? She says, I'm saving the starfish. And he says, you can't save all the starfish. And she's like, I can save this starfish. I think we get overwhelmed with sometimes, and I do too, with the scope and, or the magnitude of the problem. It's so it's huge. Just, yeah. Start, yeah. Start small. Like I started with my little cake shop and then I met Steve and then I made a speech and then I touched more people and then I did a <laughs> podcast. And then I, we talked to the Today Show and little by little, I look and even one of my bakers, the first one of the first bakers who depressed cake shop, they made a movie about her recently called really? Sitting Bars with Cake on Amazon. Yeah. It's called Sitting Bars with Cake. It's about my friend, Audrey. It's sad. Get Kleenex. It's a very poignant story about Audrey and her friend, Chrissy. They changed their names for the movie. But anyway, so I did a little blog on it in my depressed cake shop website. And then suddenly I saw my traffic go up. So between that and the mental health conference, more people have found out about the depressed cake shop. And then hopefully more people will either think more about mental health or go make a cake for themselves. There's so many touch points for the particular project that I work on that I just keep plugging along at it. And little by little, it grows. I love that. I love that. Thank you. So the call to action, I think is pretty clear, right? Get involved. Check on your friends. Yeah. If you're feeling, I, I manage my own mental health completely through arts and crafts, find something you love, find a passion. And once you find it, the other thing that's really nice about it is oftentimes other people share that passion. And so then the concentric effect of that is maybe a lack of loneliness. Maybe you can go to a book club. Maybe you can go to a knitting club. You can join a baking class. You can join a walking group. You might like flowers. Go be a docent in a garden. Like I think it's just also mental health is so many things, but part of it is finding who you are and finding what you love. And once yeah. you find what you love, that can be a really big step forward. Obviously, there's medication and there, there are some things that need to be treated medically or consistently through medical care. But I think I'll bring it back to my back. I have a pinched nerve in my back. Okay. So there are things I can do. And one is take my leave and put ice packs on it. And then my back will feel better. So I think we have to look at mental health in the same way. It's not just one thing that's going to fix it. It's a much more holistic approach and find what works for you. And that's where I think all these organizations can be helpful because there are resources that are much more available to us 
now to learn about, talk about. So mine is happens to be culinary art therapy and behavioral activation through hobbies and arts and crafts and things that you love. And so I just, the more I talk about it, I'm just hoping someone will go, Hey, maybe I'll pick up some eating meals and see how that feels. In addition to talking to my therapist and talking to my mother and all the other things you one needs if you found yourself in a, in a difficult place. Yeah. I really appreciate the passion. I appreciate you sharing. The most exciting thing to me about this is something that is for each of us to pick up. I love the mentality of that. Like, okay, now I have this. Now I get to pick this up and I get to go choose. Do I talk to my local NAMI and we do something together? Do we just do it as a family? This is not Do you just do it on social media? That's not hard. You could bake a cupcake put it on social media and put a, an encouraging quote on it and tag me and I'll repost it and then someone else will repost it. So again, the call's pretty easy. So please visit Depressed Bake Shop online. I'll put all your links and everything up, Val, so yep. people can find out how they can participate. And I'm just going to really encourage everybody listening to this podcast today, please do something this weekend. Just one thing. Weekend, just one thing. Please do something because... I think we're at that tipping point, like you were talking about. It's We are talking about it a lot now. I definitely am mm-hmm. interested in the work that we're doing, but many people are. But let's actually do something. Let's actually take the next yeah. step and do something. Okay? Yeah, I'll make a list. Maybe I should do that on my website I'll send to you. I Just like easy things. One is just call somebody I haven't talked to in a long time. I might be lonely. There's so many things to do. There is. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Beacon Way. We hope you enjoyed it and had some good takeaways. Please subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you've enjoyed the show, please give us some stars on your podcast channel of choice. For more information, tips, and notes from the show, check us out at beaconmm.com. For more information on how Beacon can help market your business, email us at welcome at beaconmm.com.